So, we've been talking about something called great joy. And uh, the phrase is taken from Luke chapter 2, verse 10, where the angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds. One place in the text says angel of the Lord, then it says uh, angels, plural. So, evidently, there was a lead angel there who spoke. And uh, that news brought them, it, it said they brought them good news of great joy. We've been talking about great joy, and we've differentiated great joy from normal run-of-the-mill joy that God has given to every person. Uh, we have a good God who the Bible says he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God gives the capacity for joy to every single human being on the planet. He gives us, he gives us uh, those be happy chemicals that we talked about. He created us with an enjoyment of beauty, of touch, of taste, all these wonderful things that God has given us as we live our lives. But we know that that is not dependable. We need something beyond our emotions. We need something beyond biologically grounded joy. We need a deeper joy. We, we, need, a, we, we need joy that's grounded in a security that's far beyond that, far beyond circumstantial or chemical. We need, we need a joy that is resilient to the instability and the suffering of life. We define joy like this. We define great joy, I should say. <clears throat> great joy is deep, desirable, durable. Deep, durable delight in the splendor and sufficiency of God and everything he is for us. So we're going to talk today about the, what is this joy grounded in? And why, why does it need to be grounded in anything? Why isn't circumstantial joy enough? Why isn't chemical joy enough? Why do you need more than that? And we're going to talk about what is it? It's got to be grounded in something. It can't just be baseless. It has to be grounded in something very deep and very permanent and very, uh, very rock solid. And so let, let's, let's look at the, shepherd right, the shepherds right now and see how this transformed them. It transformed them. And it wasn't just because uh, the angel didn't just come and say, Get happy! <laughs> that always works with people, by the way. Get happy. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like telling your wife to relax. <laughs> that works, guys, right? Calm down. She, she, she always just calm down. <laughs> no, it doesn't work, right? You get the opposite. In fact, if you're thinking about getting married, just never tell your wife to calm down. Okay, just never tell her that, because it creates the opposite reaction. <laughs> so the shepherds didn't just go, "Get happy, guys. Life is good." <laughs> no, they gave them something that caused them to have great joy. It was grounded in some factual information. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It wasn't like, well, we're amazed that you saw angels. Wow, you saw angels. No, they were amazed at what the information because the Jewish people were, they knew their prophetic scriptures. They knew what this meant. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
You know what steals our, our circumstantial chemical joy? Hopelessness is what steals it. It's the dread that things will never change. That the bad people will always get their way and evil will keep winning out. Hopelessness is a killer of joy and of life itself, by the way. Uh, they, they did a survey of 125 men who had heart disease at a similar level. And they were asked a whole range of questions to determine and gauge their positivity versus their negativity, their hopefulness versus their hopelessness. And within a year, 17 of the 25 who were at the high end of the negativity and hopelessness scale had died. At the end of a year, uh, 25 who were at the high end of the positivity and hopefulness scale, only six had died. And, and I, you know, I, I was tempted to just give you a whole bunch of these studies because there's so many that have been done that relate positivity and hopefulness to health and so many that relate negativity and hopelessness to disease and death, early death. But even more tragic than hopelessness shortening our lives, it corrupts our existence. That's even more... Uh, tragic than shortening our lives. The, the ancient apostle John, uh, when writing about hope in Jesus, said this, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. Did you ever realize that, that the hope of the gospel and the hope in Jesus and a solid eternal hope causes us to live differently. It causes us to live a more noble, a more righteous, a more fruitful, a more hopeful, more helpful life. It, uh, one illustration that I heard many years ago is like this. If you were on a cruise ship and everything was fine and you were hopeful to reach your destination, then there would be rules. Security would say that you could do certain things in certain places in certain parts of the ship and you could not do things in other parts of the ship and you couldn't just run about and do as you choose, right? If the ship began to sink, though, you could do whatever in the heck you wanted to do because people are going for lifeboats and they're trying to save their life. And that kind of explains what's happening in the world today. It kind of explains what happened in the world because there's so little hope. There's so little hope and there's so much fear about the future. The more we have hopelessness, the worse we behave because what's the point? I noticed that Elon Musk quoted, uh, tweeted a few years, days ago, we need, he said, we need a new philosophy to believe in in order to face the future. Well, he's right. I don't, I don't think... Uh, interplanetary uh, colonies is the one. <laughs> but, but that's what he believed. So you simply cannot behave properly. See, proper behavior, treating for me to treat you with respect and proper behavior comes from unconditional love. And I can only have unconditional love if I have unconditional joy. If I need you to do certain things in order for me to be happy, I'm not going to treat you well. I'm going to try to control you instead of treating you with love and respect. 
It's very important. The light of hope transformed these Bethlehem shepherds and made them into carriers of hope. And that's what I'm preaching about today. You becoming a carrier of hope. I want every one of you to leave this building in a few minutes. If you're not already, I want you to leave the carrier of hope. To be a carrier of hope, you must first let go of false hope, though. I've often thought, well, if I were God, which you're all very lucky that I'm not. I tried it a couple of days, and then it, I wasn't very good at it, so I quit trying to be God. And, um, but if I were God, I know that I would not have gone to visit some shepherds. After all, the problems of the world were not caused by shepherds. They were caused by some people in Rome. Caesar Augustus was a big problem. And, and uh, then, 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 then there's Herod the Great, who was a really bad person, killed his members of his own family, they got in his way, beheaded John the Baptist eventually, and it was really bad for the country. I, I would have gone and straightened him out, or I would have gone down to the temple where the corrupt temple leaders were, and I would have straightened those knuckleheads out if I were God. But God's message of hope is not dependent on political and social and cultural reform. It's not. So God went to shepherds. Uh, you see, God knew that these power brokers were not going to change. He knew that nothing would change them. He had been sending them prophets for years, and they killed all the prophets. He knew they weren't going to listen. He knew they were not going to change. They were too full of themselves. They were too full of their own agenda. And there's no way that he could have appeared to them. An angel from heaven would not have changed their minds. Exodus 1 and 8 says, There arose a king who did not know Joseph. You know, that's the story of history. The story of history. Our, our speaker the other day, talking to our families about raising godly children and teaching godly children, she drew a graph of history, just a simple graph, and it went like this. <laughs> we, we, have, we have spiritual renewal then we get full of ourselves and we start pushing God out of the way then we hit the bottom and then we cry out to God and God in his mercy sends revival and we have that for a little while and then we get full of ourselves again and we don't need God and we don't need the Bible and we don't need any of that and we hit the bottom again Guess where I think we are right now? <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're at a low, which should make you very excited because you know what's next. <laughs> revival. <laughs> revival is what's, is what's on the agenda <laughs> next. You see, I must treat this present human-centered world the same way I would treat opioids if I stayed at the hospital. If I went to the hospital and I was in enough pain, I would not turn down morphine or some other opioid to relieve my pain. But because of all that I know and all that we all know about opioids, I would do it with caution. 
And I would, I would make sure to be concerned that I didn't get addicted. And that's the way you got to treat the world around you. you got to treat the world around you that you, you got to have some of it in order to survive. you got to have some of the world. you got to engage with the world. But don't be so addicted to it. Because heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not pass away. That's the word of God. So, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to influence culture in politics and all of that. Uh, your voice, your actions, and your vote, by all means, do what you can. Because people are suffering and people are hurting. And sometimes political action is what bring, alleviates human suffering. Think of slavery, for instance. Think if we had not abolished slavery. Thank God that the only thing that could abolish slavery in the, in, in, in the West and in the United States was, was the political structures had to do, address it. There are some things that can only be changed by political structures addressing them. Um, uh, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and, and the integration of African Americans in, in opening up opportunities to the rest of culture, that could have only happened by political action. So don't say, oh, don't be interested in politics, because politics matters. Be as interested as you can, can be and have an influence. Have all the influence you can. I believe I'm going to answer to God if I could have had influence and I didn't. If I could have alleviated human suffering and I didn't alleviate human suffering through political action, I believe God is going to hold me responsible. But we were, you know, the, the political... See, we were designed to operate only under our full potential under the supervision of the Heavenly Father, which we have pushed away. Because of that, human political systems of this world are corrupt beyond repair. They're corrupt beyond repair. You aren't going to transform them. Stop hoping that the next series of legislations, the next judicial action, the next commercial trend or election is going to bring about the millennium. It's not going to happen. The Bible says it's not going to happen. So get your hope back where it belongs. Get, to get your hope back, you've got to go back and get yourself, not the government, get yourself under God's authority. Paul said that's just why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God. Not our, not our hope in the Libertarian Party, Democratic Party, Republican Party, independent, we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. The engine of a flourishing life is the knowledge of God, the knowledge that God is in control. And the Bible says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. I must stop fretting over evildoers. You know, <laughs> these, um, these shepherds did not Go. I, I love this. It, 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 it really spoke to me. Is the shepherds did not go to the angel of the Lord. Well, we got to go talk to Caesar. We got to go talk to Herod. We got to go down to the temple and straighten them out. We've got to straighten out the political, social, political, academic structures of the world. We've got to do that. We're just shepherds. Why are you talking to us? No, they didn't do that. 
They just grabbed onto it and became happy people. They became people full of joy. They, you know what they did? They really started having church. They just started praising God and running everywhere, telling everybody who would listen that Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. So that brings us to the next point, and that is that you've got to believe. Not only let go of false hope, to be a carrier of hope, you must understand you're worthy of it. Now, like I said, we have that natural tendency, or like I alluded to, I didn't really say it, but I alluded to, we have this natural tendency to look to uh, important people, powerful people, people with great wealth, people with great political power, and, and we tend to look to them for hope. If they would only lead us better, okay? That's understandable. But as I look in Scripture, and, and certainly God has used powerful people many times. There have been powerful people who were very humble and powerful people who yielded to God. And there were kings, you can go back, and, and we've had leaders in the United States, I believe, in the Western world, who have been people who honored God. So, so I'm not saying that God can't use powerful people and he, can't use, he can use celebrities and all of that. But, but uh, if you look at Scripture, he rarely did. Look at all those prophets. Read about all those prophets. Look in your Bible and you'll see all those books with those weird names, you know. Uh, Haggai, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Nehemiah, all those books, you know. None of those guys, and they were the guys that, that, that God gave his secret information to. He, God gave them his best stuff. None of them got elected or appointed. None of them got asked, Hey, would you be the person that tells us what God is saying so we can lead the country in the right way? They would only call the prophet when things got really desperate. And then they would call a prophet. Prophets were appointed by God. They were turned loose on the world by God himself. And sometimes they would kill them. Sometimes they would banish them. They would do all kinds of stuff to them. But they would never stop prophesying. None of them would ever stop prophesying. It's one of the, one of the mysteries of history, isn't it? Our history, as God has been, our history as God's people has been brought to us by God showing up for prophets, servant girls, prisoners locked away in prison cells, and especially shepherds. God loves shepherds. Shepherds were important for Jewish people as individuals because they provided the lambs for sacrifice. They were important. But they were not honored. Shepherds were dishonored by society. You know. Uh, in, in the first place, they never went to church. <laughs> really. The, they were out at work. They were working all the time. I mean, you, you couldn't leave the sheep and go to synagogue. Or leave the sheep and go to tabernacle. You had to stay with the sheep. So that's why David's brothers, you know, they went to get rid of the little brother. They just sent him out to be with the sheep. Just get him out of their way. And, and guess, who, guess who God showed up for the kid out in the, in the sheep field? God just really loved these shepherds, and, and they were not honored. And another thing is that they had all kinds of lacerations on their hands, and you couldn't go into the temple if you had cuts in your hands. You had to be perfect and to go into the temple, so they had that problem. And, and then the third thing about the, the shepherds is they were often criminals because, 
Because there's not, there's not a better job if you're running from the law than to go out and be a shepherd. They'd never find you out there. You know, they didn't have cell phones and they could ping you off of, of a tower to see where your location was. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, here, here's, the, here's the number four, and here's the real problem, is they really smell bad. They were with the sheep all the time. And, and I don't know if you know, but they didn't end their day at the clubhouse with a shower and a massage. No, they had no running water. Just let that sink in for a minute. No running water. There was a well here or there and the river. Water was a real problem in the Middle East. So they weren't, they weren't, they weren't cleaned up very, very often, you know? And... Boy, think about that for a minute. What does that say? What does that say? That these people that society disdained, that God showed up for them. I'll tell you, it says a lot of things, but one thing it says is that God's going to show up for you. You really matter. I'm serious. I mean, you really matter. Let that, let that sink in. You really matter. You are very important. God honors you. And I, I love you. You guys know I love the Message Bible in uh, Eugene Peterson. And here's how, here's how he words it. In the great passage, 1 Corinthians ch- chapter 1, verse 26. Take a good look, friends, he says, at, you who, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. (laughs) Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? Isn't that great? God is just looking for the unknown, undistinguished, unremarkable, even despised, to hear and impart the message that will change the world. The shepherds didn't go, well, I got, we got to do this with the message. We got to meet this person. We got to, no, God's going to take care of it. God's going to fix the world. He's going to make the world right. He's going to make the world flourish again. He's going to fix what's wrong with this planet. He's going to fix what's wrong with the human heart. He's going to fix what's wrong with the environment. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to do it. And he's going to include everybody. The shepherds acted like the powerful men who were all drunk on their own power and delusional didn't really matter that much. <laughs> and, you know, Rome, Rome was so full. of Caesars, they were so full of themselves. And, and you, you read history now. You go back and read about them. And you go, man, they were... Some of them were idiots. <laughs> like, they, they had created a phrase, Pax Romanus. Maybe you've heard of it. Pax Romanus was a phrase that Caesar Augustus came up with. And it meant blessed Rome. Blessed Rome. Well, let me tell you something. You already know. The Roman Empire, gone. And Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. Rome is closed down and the church of Jesus Christ is still open for business. 
You are no fool to follow Jesus. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I know that's hard to comfort yourself with sometimes. It's hard for me. Because I see, I see, you know, I wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a piece the other day. Maybe you read it. Uh, it's called, You're Not Wrong and You're Not Stupid. You're, no, no, you're not wrong and you're not crazy. I, I want you to say that to yourself right now. I want you to say it to yourself every day. I want you to get out of bed every day. Those of you who have put your trust in Christ, put your trust in God, and believe the wisdom of God prevails. I want you to get up every morning and say, I'm not wrong and I'm not crazy. Because there's a lot of folks out there that are wrong and crazy. <laughs> See, I can say that when we're not live streaming. <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service. So you, you're just getting a little secret, right? I did say that, you know, the Bible says that I did say this, which I shouldn't have said. <laughs> that, uh, you know, the Bible says he is the light of the world. And then later it says we are the light of the world. Now, again, these common, ordinary people like us, we are the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And I, I did say that our personal pronoun, our pronouns are he, we. <laughs> He's the light of the world, we are the light of the world. <laughs> You you gotta you gotta mock it sometimes you know you you know you gotta mock it. <laughs> really, I love I love Elijah. You know when he gets the prophets of Baal, he's the only one. He's the only one who's right. You know sometimes you're the only one who's right. You, you tell yourself that sometimes I'm the only one who's right. And he gets and all the prophets of Baal. They're cutting themselves in order to get Baal to answer, and he's not answering, and they're jumping him down, and he starts mocking them. And he says, "Well." He, maybe he's gone to relieve himself. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. <laughs> you think the Bible's not funny. The Bible is funny. <laughs> so, you know, be careful. Don't do it on, don't do it on Facebook, but uh, do, do mock the craziness when you see it in your heart, in your own heart anyway, or in your own home. <laughs> Finally, I would say this to you today. To be a carrier of hope in all seriousness, you must be convinced. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, sure. The angel appeared to me. <laughs> I'd be convinced if an angel appeared to me. But think about that for a minute. Think about that. Are you really saying to me that's, that's the only things you believe? Is things that are revealed to you by a, an appearance of an angel. You don't believe anything in your life and unless you have an apparition, a phenomenon, uh, a supernatural, you know, like like the sun sets in the, <laughs> the sun sets in the uh, uh, east instead of the west, you know, if something you pray, and if God, if you want me, if this is true, let the sun set in the east instead of the. Did I get that right? West, east, west. I get those confused. Are you telling me that you've got to have some supernatural, amazing phenomenon for everything that you believe? Well, let me ask you. How many of you believe that man landed on the moon? How many believe that? You believe that? Well, how, did an angel tell you? You can, you can, you can produce, a, produce that whole scene on a movie set. 
So why do you believe it? Because we don't require visits from angels in order to believe stuff, you know? Uh, you, you, you know all about these cited scientific papers that they write. Do you know what, they, you know what happens in the academic community? <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm going to say. That these academic people write papers and they cite each other's papers. That's what they do. And then they say, yes, I've been cited 50 times, 100 times, 200 times. Yeah, but who cited you? Your friends. Your friends at the other university cited you. It's, it's, it's just a crazy game that's being played that gets, that, that's the way to get federal funding. You say, you're a cynic. I'm just a realist. And this is what's really happening in the world. The world is corrupt. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. If I'm a cynic, then Scripture's a cynic. And I find it great, I find great comfort in it. I find great comfort in saying, okay, this is foolishness. The fools, it's foolishness. You know, uh, there's a, guy, a guy had a theology degree, and he got on a boat in, back in the 1800s and visited four, five or six islands in the Atlantic Ocean, and he looked at things. <laughs> he just looked at things and made notes. Oh, I see... I'm on this island, and the sheep have wool this thick. And then I went over this other island, it's a little colder, so their sheep, their wool is this thick. So, I know, the, I know, I understand the origin of mankind. So many things like that. How about an announcement that was so powerful? Let's just do a little sample control group. That's how they figure things out, right? They establish a control group. Let's establish a control group. Twelve men. Twelve men who were there when it happened. Now, they weren't at Bethlehem, but they came in along pretty short after that, so they knew the mother of Jesus. They knew the family. They watched Jesus' miracles. They absorbed his message. They were basically with him pretty much, for as we can tell, 24-7. You know? I'm sure they weren't with him all the time, but they, they certainly slept in the same area that he slept. They ate with him. They, they sailed with him. They, you know, whatever. And they saw him after his resurrection. Ten of those men faced execution for that belief, and they all submitted to execution rather than say, I made it up. One man was boiled in oil, but he survived. That's John, and was exiled to the island of Patmos, where instead of getting depressed, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that, ooh, that's the kind of relationship with God I want to have. They can boil me in oil, and I survive, and they put me on a, on a deserted island, and I, I, have, I have a day where I say I was in the Spirit of God. I was caught up in the Spirit of God. God he was singing, God is so good. <laughs> what is that? And then one guy committed suicide. 
because he realized how wrong, how badly he got it wrong. Those shepherds did not believe that message because they saw an angel. They believed that message because what the angels told them completed the prophetic puzzle that they understood because one thing every Jew knew was the Torah. They all knew the Torah and they knew the prophets and they understood the message of the prophets better than, better than almost any Christians know the scripture. They knew the scripture as Jewish people and they knew there was something missing in the prophetic puzzle and so what the angel told them that day made sense to them. It, it, it was a rational message that changed their minds not seeing an angel because you can see apparitions and you can see weird things and you cannot even know what they are. And here's the puzzle that's found as the, the, as, as the prophetic word had been that they would be the light to the Gentiles. Light, light is the euphemism for truth. Light is the euphemism for clarity. Light is the euphemism for what is, what is really, really, really true. And so what is really foundationally correct when people see the light, they could not see how it would happen and listen in fact listen to this scripture Isaiah chapter or Romans chapter 15 we'll read two verses again Isaiah says there will, there shall come out of the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the gentiles in him shall the gentiles hope that's old testament folks now may the god of hope fill you with all joy the foundation of great joy is hope that's it and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we jump back to the left in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. No wonder they had great joy because the shepherds told them, here's the good news that will bring joy, great joy to all people. Not just Jews, not just Hebrews, but people that are sitting in Minden, Massachusetts at church on a Sunday morning in December 2022, it's going to bring them hope and it's going to bring them joy when they know that God is in control and Christ is the emissary of God who came to not only wash away our sins but the sins of the whole world and will come has come to present the plan that will create for us a new heaven and a new earth. This morning... I so want for every one of you, if you haven't done so already, that you will cross that line of faith. That you will cross that line of faith and you will claim Jesus as your Savior and the Savior of the world. And you will stop putting your hope in everything else. And you will stop believing that there's answers going to come from somewhere else even though you may still believe. In fact, you may, you will, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, you will even believe more strongly that God answers prayer now, that God can affect our present situation as we pray and get His direction. We don't always know how He will do it, but He will. I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to come back in a couple of minutes and pray with you. And I want to urge you to make that decision to become a child of God and a follower of Jesus. I want to 
I love the lyrics of this song by Hannah Kerr. There's a song in the air, and I'm choosing to sing it. Going to lay down my worries this holiday. There's a light everywhere, and I'm choosing to see it. It won't go away. It won't ever fade, because I believe. The baby in the stable is the only one who's able to bring comfort and peace that's never going to leave. There is hope for every season, and Jesus is the reason. Love came down on Christmas Day. Now my hope is here to stay.